Now, if you'll take your Bibles and open them with me, we're in the ninth chapter of the book of Ecclesiastes. We are studying the fourth section of this book. And that fourth section has to do with the security that the believer has in God's plan for life under the sun. And the first thing that he deals with is the fact that we are secure in the midst of uncertainty. And we saw in our study in the ninth chapter that he pointed out to us the victory we can expect and that God has promised to us in the midst of this uncertainty. Now, in the very first part of this thing, you remember that in this study concerning victory in the midst of uncertainty, that we saw, uh, first of all, the fact of man's inability to understand all the ramifications of life under the sun. And that we saw in chapter 8, verses 16 through 17. And then in chapter 9, verse 1, we had that tremendous statement concerning the sovereignty of the believer's life under the sun. Will you look at chapter 9, verse 1? For I have taken all this to my heart and explain it that righteous men and wise men and their deeds are in the hand of God. Man does not know whether it will be love or hatred. Anything awaits him. We live in the midst of uncertainty. We do not know what's going to take place, whether it will be a thing of love or a thing of hate that will meet us as we turn the next turn. Yet we are sure of this, that we are in his hands, and that all our acts are in his hands. Now, we, you must be very careful to note that there are two kinds of people spoken of here, the righteous and the wise men. And in our study together, we saw that the righteous refers to those not who are righteous in their own right, by their own merit. The all our righteousnesses are as filthy rags. And we are not righteous before God because of our performance or because of our creed or because of our religion. We are righteous in the eyes of God because Jesus died for us and put away our sins and was raised again to declare to the world that God has accepted his price of redemption when he died for us upon the cross. And now as we put our faith in him, God washes away our sins and declares us to be righteous forever before him. And he treats us as righteous. So the righteous are those who, are those who have been justified by faith. And then the word wise is put in there because it refers to those who are walking not according to their own understanding, their own wisdom, the things which their culture has taught them, but they are walking according to the Word of God. They are under the jurisdiction and the leadership of the Word of God. 
They make their decisions based upon what the Bible says. And they seek to understand and they interpret life in the terms of what the Bible says. And they're walking in the wisdom, not the wisdom of this world, but the wisdom of God, which is revealed in the Word of God. Now the righteous and the wise are in the hands of God and all of their acts are in His hands. So whether tomorrow brings a good day or a bad day is not the point. The point of whether it is good or bad, you are in the hands of God and all of your acts are in His hands. That's the great word of security that he points out. He then, and you remember in the, in the next part of the text, in verses 2 to 6, points out to us the certainty of death as the end of life under the sun. This week I had contact with a man who tried to tell me that his father had communicated with him from the dead. Then I took him back to this very passage and I pointed out to him that the Word of God makes it very plain that those who have died in this life, that their consciousness and their relationship to this life is ended, it's over. They have no more to do with what's under the sun. That's a statement that he has made here. He does not, he's not talking about the fact that those who have died or have no more consciousness and no, are, are not alive. The Bible makes it plain that they continue to live, but they have no more to do with this life here under the sun. And then we went on to point out the great responsibility that we have for this life under the sun. Namely, we are to walk in the joy of the Lord. Second, we are to walk in righteousness. Third, we are to walk in the Spirit. Fourth, we are to walk in love with our wives, our mates, and fourth, we are to walk in dedication to serving God with all of our might. And this brings us to today's text. He moves now from just the point of victory in the midst of uncertainty to tell us the service we are to render in the midst of uncertainty. And he first points out the fact that life is filled with that which is unexpected. Look in verse 11. He said, I again saw under the sun the race was not to the swift, the battle not to the warriors, and neither is bread to the wise, nor wealth to the discerning, nor favor to men of ability, for time and chance overtaketh them all. The expected is that the race will be won by the swift, the battle will be won by the strong, the bread will be gained by the wise. The wealth will be amassed by the smart. And favor will be in the hands of those who have the edge because they are skilled. But that isn't always true. It doesn't turn out that way. And the reason it does not turn out that way is that life is filled with unexpected things. And that's what he says. He says, but for time and chance, overtake them all. There's a question whether the word should be translated chance or just the word event. It doesn't make any difference, really. You understand he's not talking here about faith. You and I are not, we're not under kismet. You and I are, have, do not have our faith settled for us by some kind of uh, uh, energetic ener energy within the universe that decides where everything and how everything is going to be done. And, and thus we have to just, you know, we just go along and nothing you and I can do about it. 
That's not the word of the Bible at all. You and I believe, we found out from chapter 9, verse 1, that we are not in the hands of fate. We are in the hands of a loving Father, a person who is infinitely wise. Not only is he infinitely wise, but he's infinitely loving. And with his infinite wisdom and infinite love, he holds us in our acts in his hands and guides our every step. And we rest in the security of his person, not in the insecurity of our circumstances. And praise God for that fact. And then he points out to us that this is also the, the fact of uncertainty is seen in the unpredictable things of nature. Look at verse nine, 12. Moreover, man does not know his time. Like fish caught in a treacherous net and birds trapped in a snare, so the sons of men are ensnared at an evil time when it is suddenly falls on them. You know, these examples, you know, a fish caught in a net, uh, the bird in the trap. Reminded me of a cartoon I saw once of this uh, fisherman. You know, he had all the right clothes for a fisherman, and he had, in, in the back of his car where he had all the correct poles, and he had this great big box of all the correct bait for fishing. And he had come to this particular pool of water in a stream because in that pool of water there was a great big monstrous trout. A big, long one. And there you could just see this man. He was getting out the right bait. He was putting it on his hook, and he was going around from place to place looking where he could get this fish. Just about the time he got all set and was starting to move around to find where he could get at this fish, up rode a jalopy. Now, that's an old term for one of the cars the kids drive. Now, and up drove this car and out piled seven or eight people, young people. And one very beautiful little blonde who was obviously didn't have a brain in her head and didn't know anything about fishing, had some kind of an old dilapidated pole and on the end of it was a, a dilapidated hook and with no bait, no nothing, she throws it in and what does she catch? But that great big trout. And there on the side was this fellow with all of his equipment. And you should see that the expression on his face has to be painted of complete frustration. Trouble is, if you and I face that as a reality in our lives too often, we plan, we scheme, we make our, we, we devise our methods. Why, we even pray. And we want to get, we want to, in our lives, oh, we want them to go the, what we call the good way, the best way. And we all think, oh, Lord, if you'll only do it this way, this way must certainly be your way because I know it's the best way. You know, my friends, God is constantly exhorting us not to lean on our understanding. He is constantly reminding us that 
It's not for us to plan our steps, but for us to search his word and discover what is his way. And to walk not in what we think is the best way, but what his way, and to walk in it. And then when our plans are upset, to recognize that his plan is not upset, and he does accomplish his purpose and plan in our life. And you and I are really secure in the midst of all this uncertainty, even though it is unexpected, even though we cannot predict it. He knows, and we can rest in trust in him. And then having pointed that out, he now begins with verse 13, and right straight down through the 10th chapter, he gives us certain factors of un about uncertainty. He points out different situations of uncertainty and how to react to them. And the first one, he points out to us how that good accomplished is often forgotten. He tells us a story. There you have it in verse 13. Also this I came to see as wisdom under the sun. And it impressed me. There was a small city with few men in it, and a great king came to it, surrounded it, and constructed large siege works against it. But there was found in it a poor wise man, and he delivered the city by his wisdom. Yet no one remembered that wise man. Oh, how often this happens in life. You think? We obey the Word. We do what God tells us. And God uses us and blesses us. And nobody thanks us. Have you ever been there? Hmm? <laughs> how many wives have been there? How many husbands have been there? How many children have been there? How often this is true. And because we are not thanked, because we do not receive the credit, because we are not patted on the back, our tendency is to give up and to quit. But having pointed out to us this story, he now points out to us the superior value of wisdom. Look at verse 16, will you please? So I said, wisdom is better than strength, but the wisdom of the poor man is despised and his words are not heeded. The words of the wise heard in quietness are better than the shouting of a ruler among fools. Wisdom is better than uh, strength. Wisdom is better than propaganda. Eight, verse 18, wisdom is better than weapons of war. Now remember what he is telling you. Wisdom. Not because you're applauded for it. Not because everybody remembers and thanks you for it. Not because, and by going in the way of wisdom, do not expect to be popular. Do not expect people to think good of you and to remember you and to continually applaud you. 
recognize that your many, many, many times you're going to work according to wisdom and nobody's going to remember it. Nobody's going to thank you for it. That's the facts of life and hang in there. Do not let the, the fact that people do not applaud what we do, do not let that stop us from proceeding in the way of wisdom because wisdom is better than strength. Wisdom is better than propaganda. Wisdom is better than weapons. Wisdom has the plan of God in it. Can you turn with me, please, to 1 John? 1 John chapter 1. Or pardon me, chapter 2. And I want you to look at a very interesting verse, verse 17. 1 John chapter 2, verse 17. The world is passing away, and also its lust. Here it is. But the one who does the will of God, what? The one who does the will of God abides forever. No one may ever thank you. No one may ever give you a reward. You may have no plaques to put up on the wall of your den, uh, leading out the accomplishments of your deeds in the eyes of men. But if you are doing the will of God, you and what you have done in your life will live, will abide forever. It's when you follow the word of the Scripture. Let the Scriptures control your mind. Let the Scriptures control your actions. You live under the jurisdiction of the Scriptures. You walk in the path of the wise. You and what you do will last forever. Do you believe it? That's what God promises. The question is, do we believe it? The second thing he points out to us is in verse 18, the very last part of it, and down into chapter 10. Look at it. He says, but one sinner destroys much good. Dead flies make a perfumer's oil stink. Interesting, isn't it? That's what he thinks of sinning. That's the Bible's attitude toward that smart lie, that skillfully planned chicanery. That thing that we've been able to get away with in the dark, that thing that we love and hang on to sin, it's like a dead fly. And the oil that is used for the preparing of perfume. I know none of you would buy it for your perfume bottles. And why in the world do we put it into our lives? And then he says this. He says, foolishness is weightier than wisdom and honor. A wise man's heart directs him toward the right, but the foolish man's heart directs him toward the left. Even when the fool walks along the road, his sense is lacking, and he demonstrates, literally says by the way he walks, he says to everyone that he is a fool. And he's talking here 
about the sinfulness of sin and the scandal of folly. Oh, I remember very well. And this week when I was at conference, I, I came to a certain bench that was on the, near the conference grounds, and my mind went back to the time that I sat there and talked with a very godly man. I'm not going to name him before you. He was a very godly man, and he gave me as a young man some advice that I have not forgotten. And then one day, that man, after over 45 years of very fruitful ministry, as an older man filling a pulpit, one day, the flesh got a hold of him, and he fell into sin. And that life that he had lived, the demonstration to so many, became a stinking thing. My friends, let us remember, we can all fall and fall so quickly and fall so drastic in our lives. That it's not what we say, it's what we do. And we need not only to walk in the path of wisdom under the direction of the Word of God one day, two days, one week, two weeks, one year, 40 years. And because we've done it 45 years, we think we're safe. There's no safety. One sin can make the whole thing stink. And it behooves us to remember this and to walk with our eyes wide open and thank God that we are in His hands. Oh, how I praise God. While many people do not know this because, as you know, the odor of sin spreads far and wide. The sweet report of repentance seldom travels anywhere near that wide. This man, of course, repented bitterly. And oh, what a day it was when I met him and was able to throw my arms around him again and to call him a, a brother who had walked, who had just erred, but to assure him of my love to him. Because I want to tell you, dear one, he was a broken man, but his testimony was gone. Was gone. He would have been among the great of our little church back there. But today, no one even knows his name. I want to tell you, dear one, you can ruin your whole testimony by becoming involved with sin. You can go to heaven, but your works will be burned and you will arrive there as one escaping a fire naked. And what a tragedy. What a tragedy. And then there is another thing that he points out, and that is that good can be very often hindered by official pleasures. Look at verses, chapter 10 and verses 4 uh, down uh, through verse 7. Look at it, he said. If the ruler's temper rises against you, do not abandon your position, because composure allays great offenses. 
There is an evil I have seen under the sun, like an error which goes forth from the ruler. Folly is set in many exalted places, while rich men sit in humble places. I have seen slaves riding on horses and princes walking like slaves in the land. That's the thing he wants us to see. Government very often opposes the way of God. That's what he's saying in verse 4. If a ruler's temper arises against you, very often we live in a land where under the, the, the guise of separation of church and state, laws are being passed, decisions are being made, which make it more and more and more difficult to carry on the works of God. These things are being multiplied all around us from state governments, from local governments, and from the national government, making it more and more and more difficult to carry on the work of the Lord. Now, what is to be our action? Well, he says, first of all, if you and I, the godly response is not to abandon our position. Because the Supreme Court says something that doesn't make it the truth. Because the president says something doesn't make it the truth. We are under the word of God. That's where we find our truth. That's what we believe. That's what we obey. And we do not abandon our position, nor do we lose our composure by becoming angry, by becoming radical, by going out and doing things that are utterly foolish. That is not the position that we do either. No. Our response is to keep our composure. And what is composure? Composure is confidence in God's real sovereign control of the course of events and the outcome of all events on the earth. When your heart has that assurance within it, that God holds time in his hands, that God is in control, that your God, the one whom you walk with day by day, who holds you in his hands, he has all under control. He can reverse a Supreme Court ruling very quickly, anytime he desires to do so. God is in control. Do not, do not join those who would radically oppose things. Let us obey the government where we must obey the government, but let us remember that we obey God more than Caesar. And we have our composure because we have this blessed assurance that God is in control. Nero could take Paul and kill him. But from that day to this, people named their children after Paul and their dogs after Nero. When you look at the long run, dear one, do not let the momentary decisions of government change our position. Let us stay with what the Word of God says. Let us stay with what this tells us to do. Let's not get ourselves involved 
out in programs that are not dictated by the Word of God. Let's stay with what God tells us in the Word. Let's keep our composure. Let's keep our faith, faith in Him. And knowing that He and His plan will triumph and every human instrument will fail completely. And then he points out another thing, that good is often endangered by everyday events. Will you look at those verses, please, in verses 8 to 10? He who digs a pit may fall into it, and a serpent may bite him who breaks through a wall. He who quarries stones may be hurt by them, and he who splits logs may be endangered by them. He's telling us very plainly. When you go to work on a, long, on a, on a Los Angeles freeway, <laughs> you're in danger. See? You say, oh, I, I, you know, I'm going to stay home. Well, that's interesting because over 60% of the accidents take place there. See? What is he trying to tell us here with these proverbs? Are we to dig no pits? Are we to move no fences? Because after all, the stones that he's talking about here in that verse, the stones that he's talking about moving, it means simply those stones are used as fences in the Near East for the fields. And very often when you want to enlarge a field, you have to move a stone fence. And in so doing, you will very often dislodge snakes. And if you're not careful, one will bite you. And very often, to carry on the ministry and the work of the Lord, we have to enlarge our field. We have to enlarge our outreach. We in this church face this very thing. We must reach out to greater people. Now, what are we going to do? Say, oh, look at it, it costs too much money. Oh, it's too hard. No, we can't do it. Yes, there are dangers involved. There's a risk in serving the Lord. But if you're going to do what God wants, if you're going to enlarge his field, if you're going out to this rock quarry of a place called Long Beach where there are hard hearts that need to know Christ and you're going out there to seek to win them to Christ, there's danger involved. Some of them will stop at you. Some of them will ostracize you. Does that stop us? We must reach out. We must enlarge. And he gives us a very interesting proverb to conclude his point here. Look at it in verse 10. He says, if the axe is dull, he does not sharpen its edge, then he must exert more strength. You ever do that? I don't have an axe at home that I use, but I have a saw. That saw, saw a saw sharpener, about 50 years ago. It now does not cut wood, it wears its way through it. <laughs> Consequently, it takes innumerable pushes. So with an axe. So with our Christian lives. 
So was our Christian testimony. So was our Christian outreach. You are a Christian. You are living on a block. And you, you have around you people who do not know Christ. You're working in an office, and you have around you people who do not know Christ. Do you know how to explain to them the way to be saved? Can you take your Bible and show them very simply how to be saved? I'm not asking you if you can stand up here and preach. I don't want you up here anyway. <laughs> no, I'm not asking that. I'm saying, but can you, can you, you know, go out there and just tell somebody simply and clearly how to be saved? If you can't, we have a training session here in the church that does that. You need to be sharpened. You're a dull ass. And consequently, your Christian life is more difficult. You have to face decisions. What should I do about this? What should I do about that? Do you know what the Bible says about this and that that you're making a decision about? In order to make those decisions, in order to carry this out, you must become involved with the Word of God. This involves a real dedication on your part. And I want to close with a challenge to you. Are you going out of here a dull act? Or a sharp eye. Are you going out of here a sharp Christian who knows how to share his faith? Who knows how, in the midst of provocations in that office, knows how to keep your composure, knows how to deal with the situation, and can show and be sure of it in your own heart because you have the Word of God behind you? You know how to deal with that neighbor of yours because you know that you have the Word of God for you. You're not like Archie Bunker, who has a, who has a cultural concept about, about the Bible, but is, which is absolutely foolish. Oh, how many Archie Bunker Christians there are in this world. And know nothing at all about the Bible. They just have a, they have a quote idea. What is, that is, that there's a leather cover around it and a name on the front called Holy Bible, and that's about it. But they don't know how to make decisions based upon it. Are you that, or are you one? Because so you face this life, you walk according to the Word of God. And as you reach out to people, you witness to them according to the Word of God. Are you under it? Are you walking in the wisdom of this Word in the midst of things? Are you broadening your field, facing those dangers that come? Are you an axe that is sharp? Or are you dull? Oh, may God help us to spend the time we need to spend every day in the Word to become sharp. God help us to pray as we should pray to become sharp. God help us to associate with Christians and to sit under teachers who can help us gain skills for witnessing that are sharp. We might be a sharp act in the middle of the world that God has sent us to. Heavenly Father, help this truth to get a hold of our hearts. We live in a midst of uncertainty, all kinds of uncertainties around us. And yet, Lord, we have this service we are to render. And the pressures of government we are to be composed. In the face of the angry world around about us that knows not God and is looking for an answer and has no answer, we should be people with the answer. 
in the face of the need around about us, we, would, we should be people who know how to reach out and meet that need. Help us to become soft in your service. We pray in Jesus' precious and wonderful name. Amen.